CMSF, the annual conference of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, brings together a mix of local and international speakers to discuss the most pertinent topics of Australia's $2.7 trillion superannuation sector. Join a host of AIST personalities in this podcast series as we sit down with some of the key speakers from the 2019 conference to give you an overview of their expertise and insight on some of the biggest topics to be discussed at this year's conference. Welcome to the podcast, ESG in Global Equities. My name is Tim Ironside. I'm pleased today to introduce Katie Stafford, Portfolio Manager from Schroders. Katie, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, sir. Can you explain what ESG integration involves? Sure. So I think the, the main thing around ESG integration is that it does still mean very different things. To, to different people, and that's both regionally and, and based on, you know, investor focus. Um, what we do definitely think about this is that it's important to take a view, um, and you need to be investment-led in that approach, rather than taking uh, maybe off-the-shelf type ratings. The way that we think about it is we understand that it's a really difficult thing to do, and, and the way that we address that is by combining multiple inputs, both at a stock level, a country level but doing it in that investment-led manner. And the way that we combine that is also with areas of engagement and active stewardship and even looking at managing thematic risks. The way that integration is, ESG integration is put together in in, in the best investment-led sense in our view is by focusing on governance as a, a key driver and the main pillar that drives investment returns. But we also consider environmental and social considerations but in those cases, we're a lot more industry-specific about how we think about those, those areas because different risks are, are appropriate for different business models. Great. And Katie, what are your thoughts on passive approaches to ESG? Yeah, so I kind of alluded to this um, in the earlier answer where I think you do definitely need to be investment-led in the way that you think about this. Um, and through our research and our analysis and certainly feedback from clients, Um, We found that, in general, we find um, mechanistic or more passive approaches an area which we would encourage avoiding um, in order to integrate ESG in an investment-led sense. A couple of the reasons for that would be some of the techniques that are used in terms of the methodology of constructing those ratings. So to give you an example, um, some external providers we find industry normalised. And what that means is that you end up with, rather than the normal distribution of companies, which is that broadly most people sit in the middle and there are a few extreme positive or negative risks. Um, But in what they do in terms of constructing the rating is that they actually normalise that distribution, which means that you end up with a best company and a worst company in every industry. That can lead to pretty unintuitive results where you can end up with AAA-rated tobacco stocks as the best tobacco company. We would say that that's um, pretty risky and not really an investment-led approach given the absolute risks that those businesses face. Similarly, in terms of how the different areas um, of the rating are put together or how they're emphasised, we see quite a high level of correlation with the social pillar and the overall rating that the providers give. Now, we would see that as the most subjective area and actually an area where engagement is a really effective tool um, to understand more about the risks. And our emphasis would be much more on the governance pillar, as I mentioned earlier. So I think 
there is a certainly a marketing aspect to the way um, passive approaches are put together that doesn't necessarily make sense in the context of an investment portfolio. That's interesting. So Katie, what is the impact of integrating ESG considerations on investment returns? So I think if we're to look at this um, historically, um, it would be the, the, the vast majority of investors would have a quite a high level of concern around you know, a detrimental impact on portfolio returns if you integrate ESG considerations. Um, I think the mood is, is changing on that, and certainly depending on where you look regionally, that move was made a long time in a long time ago in Europe. Locally here, even in the difference between my trip here in November versus this trip, there's a marked difference in um, the level of interest and looking to incorporate these factors into investment portfolios from a return additive perspective. Our view is that ESG is accretive in terms of alpha, and is actually complementary to a lot of the more traditional fundamental measures um, that are used within investment portfolios. But it is only additive if the ESG approach, the rating, whatever you're using in that portfolio, is constructed in an investment-led way. And this links back to the earlier point around not um, being aware of the dangers of of the kind of off-the-shelf options and actually building bottom-up. Um, a very industry-specific view of what are the ESG risks and opportunities to companies. But based on historical analysis that we've done, empirically, ESG does add in terms of alpha. And I think the more important point is that on a forward-looking basis, it's very, very difficult to argue that these considerations aren't going to be increasingly important moving forwards. And so it will have an increasingly positive impact on investment returns. And when does the fundamental approach come into practice? Yeah, so this is the the area where it's really, really important and, and in terms of our approach is combining existing fundamental analysis, which we have running through all of our investment processes, with ESG integration. Um, governance, as an example, has always been a key part of the way we think about business quality. Um, And alongside that, we actually find governance conditioned on quality as being further additive in terms of returns. But the way you integrate ESG has to be alongside those fundamental measures. You can't do one or the other in isolation, and both need to be very industry-specific in nature. So it's really about combining the two. Um, And regardless of your approach to to investing, fundamental measures definitely still count and need to be there in order to get that more holistic um, approach to delivering alpha. Very good. Um, Katie, you mentioned engagement a number of times. Now, many people do see engagement as a a tick box exercise. Do you really think that you can influence companies? Yeah, I definitely do, and we certainly as a team and a firm can evidence um, that we do so. Um, I think we have a relatively unique approach um, in the way that we do that. So although we are um, a relatively diversified team in terms of how we run our portfolios, we're still able to have the depth um, of experience in terms of having successful dialogues with companies. The way that we do that is that we're very fortunate to have a central sustainable investment team within the firm that we work very collaboratively with on areas of both engagement and also voting. So that team has a dedicated 15-person ESG specialist who are focused specifically on areas of ESG integration, engagement 
and voting. The way that that process works in practice is that whilst there's a lot of engagement going on at a firm-wide level, we also look to put together priority lists for both candidates and also topics based on our investment-led observations. So when I'm looking to trade the portfolios, if I see companies potentially with stronger fundamentals, but I have a question or a concern around a particular ESG area, that's the type of bottom-up example that I might put on my priority engagement list for that quarter. On the other side, we would also think about developing ESG themes. So areas like coal um, is something that we're looking at at the moment. And what engagement can help us do is understand how companies are thinking about transition planning um, and ongoing carbon strategy or, or risk management. Once we've come up with our priority list, we will then discuss that with that central team. They have the expertise to, to steer in terms of how they're going to ask those questions um, and the relevant companies on, on our list. And they then work together with our global analyst network who are based in the countries, speaking the local languages with these companies and meeting them on a regular basis. And those analysts are positioned very, very strongly to raise these ESG questions again, alongside all of the fundamental questions they'd be asking companies. And based on that breadth and depth of experience that we have, we can prove or evidence that we've been able to achieve positive outcomes through the engagement dialogues that we've had. And over 40% of the engagements that we've initiated over the last five years, companies have responded by changing in a positive way um, based on our requests. Great. You did mention ESG themes. What are some other common ESG themes? Yeah, so there's there's lots of themes out there, and I think um, some ESG themes are easier than others in terms of defining. Um, certainly the, the sustainable development goals are, are increasingly popular as a, a conversation topic, but for some an investment framework. Um, we think about that more in terms of understanding the thematic impact of, of those types of areas, um, and they range from poverty as, as a broad theme all the way through to, to more specific things like employee stress um, and other areas as well. They cover the broad spectrum of G, E and S. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that there's multiple ways that you can address thematic developments. You could, at the most extreme end, you could exclude areas. So within that kind of poverty theme, we actually look to exclude predatory lenders Um, within our process. We see that as a socially questionable business model, but also a business model that's facing increasing regulatory risk and therefore has the potential to impact negatively on investment returns. But we'd also look at things like engaging around um, the Modern Slavery Act and how companies are are responding um, in those areas, how well they're positioned to address the concerns. Um, And also things like consumer protection, with banks and even auto loans, so the financing of, of buying a new car, how predatory is that and how able are those companies to face the risks of those borrowers not being able to pay back should there be a, a more rising interest rate environment, particularly in, in areas like Europe. So I think you need to be very thoughtful on how you, you integrate themes. Um, and I don't think, or certainly our approach would not to be to buy a company purely because it's in an ESG positive theme again it comes back to that fundamental analysis being investment led in your approach where a company would have to be fundamentally attractive and also in one of those themes in order for us to prioritize that we wouldn't simply be prioritizing companies just because they're, they happen to be in a positive ESG theme if they didn't make sense from a valuation and a business quality perspective great 
Um, Katie, just as a final question, do you believe that Australian investors are behind the curve? So I think so. my experience um, is, is primarily um, based in Europe, given I'm, I'm based in London. Um, and I would say that, that Europeans are very much ahead and, and ESG has been you know, a really hot topic for them um, for many, many years, particularly in areas like Scandinavia, France and Belgium. Um, so I think the, you know, the considerations there are, are well embedded within, within investment processes. I think the, the conversations that I've had in terms of, um, if I compare the trip that I had here in, in November last year versus the last two weeks that I've spent um, in and around Sydney, Melbourne, etc., seeing larger institutional investors, there's a massive difference in the way people are thinking about ESG integration just over that very short period. It's gone from being, I'd really like to learn more about this topic, but we're not sure how we're going to implement it. Um, and you know how are we going to report and monitor managers' progress in this area? To we've recently integrated a climate change risk management policy. This is you know if not the top one, definitely the top three areas on our agenda to address um, over the year moving forward. So I think historically, in terms of where Australia was at, and, and that could be for a number of reasons, including you know the higher representation of uh, lower E-rated companies, so miners and utilities, etc., in the local index may have been um, preventative, um, if, we're th- if we're talking kind of long term. But in, on a forward-looking basis, the, the severe progress that we've seen over the, just the last three months, I think is indicative of catching up very quickly um, in terms of any, any hint of being behind is, is soon going to be um, taken away because this is at the front of everyone's minds. Great. Thank you very much, Katie. Um, We greatly appreciate your insights into ESG integration in global equities. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen to our other interviews with key speakers from CMSF 2019. You can find out more on our upcoming events program by heading to aist.asn.au forward slash events. See you next time.